Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Midnight Duel. This chapter starts with all the first years being nervous and excited about their first flying lesson. At breakfast, Neville gets a remember-all from his grandmother, and just after the lesson has begun, Madame Hooch has to step away. They're not supposed to get on their brooms, but Malfoy steals this remember-all that Neville has gotten and flies away with it. Harry then flies after him and catches the remember-all in a dive. He's caught by McGonagall and thinks he'll get in trouble, but actually Professor McGonagall introduces him to Oliver Wood, the Quidditch team captain, and Harry is made seeker for Gryffindor. Later, Malfoy challenges Harry to a duel at midnight in the trophy room. On Harry and Ron's way out of the common room that night, they encounter Hermione and Neville, who tag along. They realize that Malfoy has set them up to be caught by Filch and narrowly escape getting caught by going through a previously locked door, which they soon find out contains the Forbidden Corridor where a giant three-headed dog is guarding a trapdoor. They flee back to the common room and then speculate on what the dog is hiding. So this is a lot of stuff happens in this chapter, so that was a little bit of a longer synopsis, and we'll hopefully go into more of the details that might be a little confusing. So one of the first things we can notice in this section is that Neville is once again displaying his incompetence, um, in this case with flying, um, so much so that he manages to injure himself severely during the first five minutes of the lesson. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I was thinking about when I was reading this, and I did a little bit of research on it, Neville's parents were both very skilled wizards. And when they were tortured into insanity, Neville was just an infant, but it's possible that he remembers flashes of it, like Harry remembers flashes of his parents' murders. Mm Mm-hmm. And so one thing that I was thinking about, and people have theorized on this, that it's possible that someone may have put a memory charm on Neville to help him forget about his parents' torture, um, which could explain why he is such an incompetent wizard at this point in time. And there could be a clue that his grandmother gives him a remember-all, and he immediately holds it, and it tells him that he's forgotten something. So it's possible that he, it's telling him that he's forgotten about his parents' uh, torture in that way. So while while it is just a theory, I think it's a neat theory in that explains so much about Neville's personality and clearly um, he does still remember flashes of it, but that it's possible that his behavior could be explained by that sort of memory charm. Yeah, I think that's a really cool theory, especially, I mean, obviously people grow as they age. So his, you know, growth into the uh, very strong sort of hero that he is at the end can be explained just by maturing. But I also think it would be interesting if maybe this memory charm still has some effects on him and then he does eventually age out of it as Mm -hmm. more time has passed. I think that would be kind of a cool idea. Something I noticed during this scene is that Harry's Gryffindor-like headstrong kind of bravery, I guess, comes through here. Mm -hmm. Um, It really pays off for him as it usually does for him, but he totally could have been expelled or at least gotten into real trouble. It was just lucky that he was actually talented at Quidditch and Professor McGonagall, you know, saw that. Um, But this pattern really repeats many times throughout the series. Where Harry does something stupid and instead of getting punished, he gets rewarded. Right. And he is also showing some good qualities where he's standing up for the underdog and against the bully, which is usually why he does these impulsive things. So it kind Mm -hmm. of is redeeming and that's kind of why he doesn't get in as much trouble a lot, but it's still 
just kind of interesting, I thought, um, because even though Harry's life has been really hard up to this point, he is also very lucky and gets a lot of things very easily from now on. Yeah. I think I think it's important to to distinguish, though, that this moment where he gets on a broom and he begins to fly during the lesson is, like, a really powerful moment for Harry. Because oh, he's been course. so, like... He's had so many confidence issues since arriving to Hogwarts. He's like, I'm not going to be a good wizard. I don't know anything about any of this stuff. I'm going to be awful at every subject. I'm going to be the worst in the class. I don't have any talent for any of this stuff. I'm just completely in the dark. I don't deserve the fame that I have, the celebrity status. I haven't done anything to deserve all this attention. And I feel like I'm not going to rise to the expectations of all these people. Mm -hmm. But here, there is something that he is naturally gifted at. And, and something that where he doesn't need to be taught. He's already possibly the best even in the whole school. Right. Without even being taught or without even having to try very hard. He just, he's a natural. Um, and it really bolsters his confidence a ton to have that experience and to, and to realize that he actually is gifted at something, even if it's not what he thought he would be. And not only that, but he's being rewarded with an incredible honor based on his talent and his bravery, not because of his celebrity status, not because of his name or his because he looks like his dad or because he has his mother's eyes, but because of something he actually does, um, which is a big moment for Harry. Um, yeah, you're right. It really is. And I think um, in hindsight, after having read all the books, obviously, I think that um, we do see this pattern repeated so many times and it can get a little bit old, like why, you know, Harry can get a lot of special treatment and be, oh, yeah. and he is very privileged and we know that. But, um, you know, this moment, you're right, is really the first moment where he is rewarded and it's for something he's done and he really, you know, deserves this moment and this happiness mm-hmm. and it sort of propels um, a lot of the rest of his life um, in terms of his love of Quidditch and everything. Yeah, it becomes part of his like core identity, I would say. That first moment where he steps on a broomstick to do a call out to the movie Inside Out, it would probably be one of his like core memories. Core memories, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and, and it's one of the times, one of the few times in the whole series that he's truly happy. We don't see it too much. I mean, there's usually something looming over his head, you know, the threat of death or Voldemort or his destiny or whatever. But here he's just an 11-year-old kid with a special name who happened to be great at something and got rewarded for it. So it's really, it's just a nice, it's a nice moment for him. Yeah, and we've been talking a lot about um, what this means for Harry, but I thought we could end this part of the discussion by reading the quote of when Harry first gets on the broom. Um, So the quote begins, He mounted the broom and kicked hard against the ground, and up, up he soared, air rushed through his hair, and his robes whipped out behind him, and in a rush of fierce joy, he realized he'd found something he could do without being taught. This was easy. This was wonderful. So this really Mm. represents what we're talking about and just the fact that this is probably the best moment of his life, maybe besides knowing he's a wizard um, so far. And he's just purely happy and feels like he's doing something great. Yeah. And in the context of the series as a whole, this is an important moment because it establishes his love of flying. In this one moment, it basically and gives us a major characteristic of him. I just remembered this. Isn't this one of the moments he thinks of when he's trying to oh, um, conjure yes. Patronus? It absolutely is. Um, it is. It was, I believe, the first one that he thought of mm-hmm. when Lupin asks him to conjure up a happy memory. Yeah. I think he thinks of this moment first, and it doesn't work. So clearly <laughs> it's not truly happy enough for Patronus, but... It's, um, this is what he considers one of his happiest moments. Yeah, this was the first thing he thought of. So clearly it means a lot to him. 
So the next part of the chapter really centers around um, this midnight duel that Malfoy challenges Harry to um, in a fit of kind of probably jealousy over his skills on a broomstick. I think partly that, but also probably, I mean, Harry humiliated him in front of the class. Yeah. And I think this is establishing part of Malfoy's character is if he gets humiliated, he needs revenge. That's like a core part of him. Yeah, I think, and you're right, he was humiliated because Harry beat him. Harry showed him up, yeah. It's kind of um, both of those things. But yeah, so it's establishing Malfoy's character. Um, He's also very clever and actually doesn't care about honor at all. So he doesn't really want to, you know, fight in this honorable duel. He he knows that that would be risky um, and they would right, be caught. Right, because he might get caught or he might lose. Right, which would be worse. So instead, by reporting them to Filch, he gets the same satisfaction of having kind of beaten Harry without any of the actual risk to his own person. Right. Um, so he is clever in that way, but it, it is also like cowardly. Oh, very cowardly. Right, and that, that comes up again and again with him too, and it gets him into a lot of trouble later on in the series. By contrast, I think Harry and to an extent Ron show a lot of integrity and again courage by not only agreeing to the duel that they don't need to at all it's really just for their own integrity Mm -hmm. and also by like following through and showing up um they didn't need to do that i mean they knew that it was breaking the rules and they knew that it was a risk but that is also something that they do a lot harry likes to break the rules and ron is always willing to go along yeah even to the point of stupidity i mean this is clearly a setup anyone who's reading this would probably know that this is a setup by Malfoy. And even Hermione points out, mm-hmm. he's clearly tricking you. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously not going to meet you there. But yeah, Harry well, and Ron are like, well, we'll see. You know, whatever. I, I think this also has to go um, back to our discussion about the houses. Because although there's lots of problems with putting people into houses by character traits that we've talked a lot about, mm-hmm. I do think this does show their, you know, the Gryffindors um, are brave, will do things, even if they're kind of stupid, but they're, um, you know, courageous and will show up. And um, Malfoy is ambitious, but he's not necessarily brave. He's not willing to risk something, but he is willing to get ahead in a sense by sort of manipulating other people. And so he's kind of getting himself ahead without actually having to make a brave move, which is something, again, as you said, he does a lot. It goes back to that Slytherin Mm -hmm. character trait. I think, um, as you were saying that, one thing that I just thought of was, I think over the course of the series, we're going to see Harry and and the rest of the Gryffindors temper what what I would consider reckless behavior with more like cautioned bravery, something more akin to like McGonagall and Dumbledore. I mean, mm-hmm. some of that comes with old age and wisdom, but I definitely think that like as a Gryffindor grows, they grow out of this reckless reckless sort of courage and into sort of a more valorous uh you know i'm only gonna do something brave if i can see it through and if i understand the risks mm-hmm. and that kind of thing um in a more cautioned sort of way and um harry sort of seems to have his own honor code kind of throughout the books where yeah, definitely he is willing to break the rules and um, as you were saying at the beginning, it's a little bit more reckless, but later on he is more cautious with it, but he always kind of has his own code regardless of the rules. It's based on, I think, a sense of his own ideas about what is right and wrong, and especially once he begins to fight, you know, the ultimate wrong of, like, Voldemort and mm-hmm. evil, he really feels like that's the only important thing, and rules are just kind of in the way of that. Yeah, and he he's almost kind of like a wizard Batman in a way, because Batman, if you're not familiar with Batman, his, he has one rule, which is he doesn't kill people. Mm-hmm. And Harry's kind of like that. I mean, he's not as, like, reckless and nuts as Batman is, 
But he also has the rule, don't kill people. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see this come up again and again where he will take risks and he will fight people and he will defeat, you know, evil, but he never kills if he can avoid it. And I don't think he ever actually does kill anybody. I could be wrong about that. But nothing's coming to mind. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, He almost always uses the disarming charm instead of a potentially lethal curse. Even in the case where um, when the seven potters were trying to escape um, the burrow in the beginning of book seven, and everyone's telling him, like, use stunning spells on the people flying behind you because, um, you know, that's a good way of getting them to disengage. But Harry's like, if they fall, they're as dead as if I'd cast a Vada Kedavra at them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. You know, his conscience is what's driving a lot of this stuff and a lot of this honor code that you were just talking about. But you're right. It does. It does. He is fine with breaking rules as long as he can justify it to himself. Of course. Yeah. And I think the other important part about this whole scene um, is the fact that Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville are all together, which um, we mentioned at the beginning of this book, them being in the boat together, going into Hogwarts, and the significance of that. This is another time that they're all together. They will be also together at the end of this book significantly, um, and then at the end of the series. So I think this was just something that I... Um, sort of forgot that they were placed together so much, especially in the first book. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, Harry, Ron, Hermione, of course, become the, the trio, trio, and they are the most important. But Neville is also important, and he and Rowling kind of attaches him to these um, most important people mm-hmm. at the beginning. And even though he kind of goes in and out throughout the series, um, I think she probably did that on purpose because I think she knew that Neville would be you know, would be important and that the four of them would again be the ones to sort of save Hogwarts and yeah, do all these things. For sure. Um, and it's also an interesting foreshadowing to the end of this book um, because Hermione stops Harry and Ron in the common room and tells them that they're she's not going to let them go out to the trophy room to mm-hmm. fight Malfoy. And they say, we don't care what you think we're going to mm-hmm. go anyway. Um, and so she tags along with them. And then at the end of this book, we're going to see Harry, Ron, and Hermione leave to go on a very dangerous mission and neville intervenes to stop them Mm -hmm. and they say neville you don't know what you're talking about we gotta go and neville's like well i'll fight you it's one against three but i don't i don't care i'm gonna stand up to you and and then they have to um stun him i think hermione uses the full body bind on him or something but it's it's an interesting foreshadowing because again it's it's this you know person who means well is interfering with the heroes while they're trying to break some rules and in both cases i think it could be argued that the well-meaning person was in the right. Right. Uh, but because our heroes need to move the plot forward, they disregard them. Yeah, and uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about Hermione because she is very significant. Um, well, obviously, she's a main obviously, character. Obviously, but I mean, in this chapter, um, a lot of things come, sort of come to light about her. So Hermione obviously loves the rules as opposed to Harry and Ron, who, mm-hmm. as we said, are um, into real bra- rule-breaking when it's necessary. Um uh, but she is always an avid rule follower throughout the series, um, although she does loosen up a little bit later on. In this chapter, her threats to turn them in are actually empty. She's not going to turn them in for no reason. Um, and I think that, you know, Harry and Ron's decision to attend the duel isn't affected by her threats to turn them in. Um, but also, she won't do it. She won't just turn them in for no reason. Um, she's not just kind of like a snitch or a tattletale. Yeah, I mean, I think she comes across that way to yeah. the reader. Definitely as someone who, like, would tell on them, but she doesn't. And I think it's significant that she doesn't um, because I think she doesn't see a problem with their rule-breaking as long as nobody gets hurt. 
Yeah, she's only con- really concerned about people's safety. And when she does it in the future, it's only because she's concerned about safety. Yeah. But she does come off as someone who is upset because the rules are being broken and not for any other reason. Yeah, that's Like, true. she even says, you know, you'll... I think she's, like, mad because they might lose They'll Gryffindor lose house points. Yeah, yeah. Like, so... And that's, like, her biggest concern. It's like, that doesn't matter. Her yeah. Money. Like, whatever. Who cares? But, you know, they are 11. Let's remember that. Yeah. And I think when I was 11, I used to love the rules, too. So mm-hmm. I can definitely understand someone being very caught up in... The idea that someone else could get away with breaking the rules is abhorrent, yeah. you know, because you don't want things to be unfair and all of that. But again, you're right. It was an empty threat and she wouldn't turn them in, I don't think, unless there was a serious risk of harm coming to them. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to think about um, why Hermione does care so much specifically about what Harry and Ron are doing. Um, yeah. She because, seems to have a specific interest in them. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of... Um, cute in a way because you can wonder you know does she really want to be friends with them um is she trying in her own way to sort of be around them or get involved with them because she is attracted not in a weird way but just in a in a way of wanting to be friends with them um yeah i think so to some extent i also think that she is really just bothered by the fact that they like to break the rules yeah exactly but you know there probably is some sort of draw to their confidence and their demeanor that is yeah again as you and said and i like, think it's also because she knows that there's something in her that is like them as we see later yeah. on like mm-hmm. she does have this bravery and she is a gryffindor and she has this sort of bravery and somewhat recklessness about her and she will of course become their equal if not better um later on so it's just maybe she also sees some of that in them and wants to sort of be around it yeah for sure and the author definitely is drawing attention to her as a character in this chapter a lot. I noticed that in every instance where Hermione is referred to, um, she it's, it uses her full name, Hermione Granger. And that doesn't happen for any other character in the series so far. Uh, and I think that the author is using that sort of method of um, describing Hermione to call attention to her and say, hey, you should probably know this person's full name. Um, and you should probably know it really well because she is important and you're going to have to pay a lot of attention to her later on. Yeah, see, I didn't think of it like that. I thought of it like as a sort of way of distancing her almost because it was a, you know, it was it was two names. It's formal. She's not a friend yet. She's Hermione Granger. She's like another a girl in your class that you would like yeah. refer to by two names because that's, you don't know them well. But I think that's also a good point that if it's really the only character she's doing this for, then she's trying to sort of seal the name into your head and say that this is an important name. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. I think. I mean, she is not their friend right now, and they even kind of dislike her. Um, It's probably mutual. She probably dislikes them to some extent. But also, it like I think it is a device that Rowling is using here to say, like, hey, pay attention to this person Mm -hmm. a little. So lastly, I think we should talk about the Forbidden Corridor section of the chapter. Um, so here we get our first real monster of the series mm-hmm. uh, in the three-headed dog, the giant three-headed dog that's behind the locked door to the Forbidden Corridor. And now they know why it was forbidden. So it's it's a giant three-headed dog, obviously an allusion to Cerberus, who was the um, also a giant three-headed dog that guards the gates of Hades in Greek mythology, basically to stop people from leaving Hades. Mm-hmm. Um, so it basically tells the reader, hey, if you know anything about Greek mythology, you should know that whatever is underneath that trapdoor 
um, is going to be some sort of underworld, either literally or metaphorically. Like it's going to be difficult to overcome. There's going to be lots of obstacles. And yeah. It's going to be like the Greek myths where heroes travel to Hades and they have to go through a lot of trials and tribulations. It's going to be like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's obviously foreshadowing the end of the book here mm-hmm. where there's going to be some sort of journey beneath that trap door and to whatever ends are there. And Harry even thinks that he's uncovered what it is already. He's putting together pieces in his head and he's jumping to conclusions maybe that he shouldn't, but that are actually, you know, his intuition is right here where he says, yeah, it's probably that grubby little package that Hagrid picked up in Vault 713 because he told me anything you want to keep safe, Hogwarts is the best place for it. And here is a a guard dog, literally, standing over Mm -hmm. what looks like a hiding place. So So. he doesn't know what's in the package, but he knows from a lot of clues um, up till now that it's important. And he guesses correctly that this is what the dog is ultimately hiding. Yes. Um, I think it's important to note here that Hermione says, you guys are all dumb. You didn't notice the trap door. And they're like, well, we're looking at the giant three-headed dog, um, which is fair. (laughs) But she is, um, you know, very observant, knows what's happening, sees the trap door. And I think uh, we just wanted to point out that without Hermione's somewhat reluctant um, sometimes to give, but her knowledge and advice and her skills, they would not be moving along in the story at all. Um, right. at this point and that I think is often true throughout the series that you know Harry and Ron are kind of going into things um, head on but they miss all these key things that Hermione sees yeah, and yeah. she actually helps them move they're forward. not actually the best detectives they just they're very headstrong as you said and they are intuitive but they they aren't very knowledgeable in the way that Hermione is knowledgeable and clever and observant and because she reads so much and knows so much she Picks up on things and she, yeah. um, it helps. You know? Even something little like when they were running away from Filch and they run into a locked door and everyone's like, ah, oh, it's locked. We're done for. And Hermione's just like, ugh, you guys don't know Alohomora? <laughs> yeah. Just get out of the way. Let me yeah. do this. She's like almost frustrated with them for like not being on her level. Yeah. Because she's already learned, um, even though she is only 11, has barely started school, she's already learned a lot of practical skills that can help her in the magical world. Um, and... It's just a very observant person in general. Yeah, and she's definitely helping them to unravel the mystery in this book, and she will continue to help them unravel every mystery, every mystery in every yeah. book from now on, <laughs> yeah. even if she is sometimes the the skeptic. Yeah. I think she is often the voice of the author, um, giving them critical information that they wouldn't otherwise have. So she is a very important character for that reason. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Midnight Duel. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of this chapter, and stay tuned for next time when we explore Chapter 10, Halloween. I'm Madeline. And I'm David. And we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.